Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Hello, Johnny. Hello, my lover. Hello, everyone. Okay, so today we're going to discuss books five and six of Paradise Lost. And this past Monday, you discussed books five and six, but you had a particular angle that you took it from. But today we're going to discuss the entire books five and six, and we're combining them. Why are we combining them? Because these two seem to go together well, Mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of content that would divide them. Divide them into one book and another book. Right. It's just kind of one long story that goes together. Right. So Mm -hmm. the two stories seem to go together, the narrative structure, and therefore we thought rather than prolong things, we would just sort of combine them. Wait, how would you sum up books five and six in as few words as possible? The battle in heaven. That's exactly what I was going to say. So Milton opens book five with Adam and Eve awakening from sleep. And Eve is upset because she had dreams. Right. If we remember from last time, right. Satan was interrupted in whispering as a toad into the ear of Eve. And we find out the results of those whisperings at the beginning of book five. Five. Yeah. She tells Adam her dream. Right. And she even tells him she saw a creature who ate from the tree. Right. That they weren't supposed to eat from. Right. Um, and this creature told her to eat too because it would make her happy. And I can't help but remember how many times you wake up and tell me your dreams in the morning. Yeah, you do. We (laughs) both do that, huh? Yep. yep. Okay, so the first thing that happens is Adam, waking, rested from his sleep, looks over and sees that Eve looks a little discomposed, different than how she usually does when she wakes. And so we'll pick up with the text. Okay. With looks of cordial love, Adam hung over her enamored and beheld beauty, which, whether waking or asleep, shot forth peculiar graces. Then with voice mild, as with Zephyrus on Flora breathes, her hand soft touching, whispered thus. And I wanted to emphasize the hand touching, because again, this is one of those things that in Paradise Lost, we've made an emphasis of, Mm -hmm. the hand touching. It's huge, this this hand in hand, Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. throughout the garden. And we see that the poem actually ends with them walking hand in hand as well. So he says to her, Awake, my fairest, my espoused, my latest found, heaven's last best gift, my ever new delight. And you know I'm a bit of a softy on things like this. (laughs) Yes, I love the language because the language expresses so well that sense of love for a man, Mm -hmm. for his wife. And I feel that every morning when I wake with you. And that's so wonderful. My ever new delight. And then Eve responds to Adam, O soul, in whom my thoughts find all repose, my glory, my perfection, glad I see thy face and mourn returned. Because she's had a bit of a Mm -hmm. rough night. Right. The dreams that she's had have troubled her. A little farther down, she says this, alone I passed through ways that brought me on a sudden to the tree of interdicted knowledge. Fair, it seemed, much fairer to my fancy than by day. And so we're here seeing the fruit of the toad whispering in her ear. And I think there's something very important here Mm -hmm. that is easy to pass over quickly, but it's not something that we can lightly gloss over because she said, alone I passed. And one of the points that Milton makes repeatedly throughout Paradise Lost is that the marriage relationship is two people Mm -hmm. becoming one. 
Right. And when they are separated, they are vulnerable. Right. And we see that in society today. Right. And that's one of our major worries about both the Christian church Mm -hmm. and society itself. It has degraded the marital relationship. Right. And in the name of sacrificing for the cause. Right. Oftentimes for the Christian cause. Right. That's what what I meant. And also, you know, for the children, for the cause, for whatever. Uh, Yeah. And for the children. That's another one. You step into church and you're divided. Here's the women's study. Here's the men's study. Right. You know. And both you and I have revolted against that in the depths of our soul. So we see in Eve's dream, as she relates it to Adam, some highlights of the tactics that Satan is going to use to deceive her, mm-hmm. right? He says to her in the dream, is knowledge so despised, right? So this is one of the major appeals, the idea that God is keeping knowledge from us and that therefore this tree of interdicted knowledge is something that God is trying to keep from us. And this is the Gnostic doctrine Mm -hmm. that the God of this world is essentially an evil God who's keeping from us the good of the tree. So it's Satan's lie from the very beginning. And it's a lie that's returned full force in today's Hegelian world. Right. It's interesting because as book five, six, and seven, at least, Adam keeps saying that he wants more knowledge. Yep. And he keeps being reminded by Raphael that there are limits. There are limits to your knowledge. And so right. it's it's almost like Milton is struggling back and forth with it. Yeah. Because he came at the time of the of the, of the scientific ast- revolution, astronomical bloom. Right. With Galileo. Right. And with astronomy and all, it seems yep. like that's what Milton's interested in. Yep. So yeah, he and, must and have been. There must have been a lot of talk at that time about that very subject. Yeah. And yet he continually makes the point mm-hmm. that curiosity, the curiosity of a man, is a good thing. Right but that it must be willing to accept limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next thing that Satan whispers to Eve is that this fruit may make gods of men. Mm-hmm. Right? And so to step out of the prescribed limits that God has given to us again. So that notion of limits prescribed by God, boundaries put in place to protect mm-hmm. creation and to keep everything in its proper order. Right. is one of the fundamental things that's assaulted by evil, as we see over and over right. again throughout Paradise Lost. And even in our world. <laughs> and even in our present world, yeah. for sure. Because I think we're actually falling back into that sort of chaos mm-hmm. that Satan sought to engender. Yeah. And then he appeals to the pride of life and the happiness of the individual. He says to Eve, happy thou art. Happier thou mayest be, worthier canst not be. You are already worthy of all of the greatness of God, and you can be happier. Taste this, and be henceforth among the gods thyself a goddess. And there's a couple things going on here. One of the things going on is that Eve likes to be appealing to Adam. And if she can be more appealing to Mm -hmm. Adam, that is also something. And there's also a way in which Satan is appealing to that fundamental notion of competition. Mm -hmm. Like she sees Adam as being the superior in a certain way, in knowledge, and she's supposed to compete with that. And Satan appeals to that as well. So that's, I think, enough. That's sufficient for talking about strategies. We'll meet that more 
explicitly when we get to the temptation in book nine. Mm -hmm. But Adam responds to her, best image of myself and dearer half. And I want to mention here the idea that so often is brought in some of the commentaries. In fact, you were reading one today. Mm -hmm. The idea that Milton is suppressing women and is a part of the patriarchy and and promoting the inequality. And it's just not the case. Yeah, it isn't. If If you you clearly read, read, yeah, Yeah. Adam is actually saying, best image of myself and dearer half, right? He loves Eve more than he loves himself, and he actually sees in her a better image of himself than he can form for himself. And that is certainly true for me as well. Mm -hmm. So he says, these dreams that you have also affect me, and I always feel that. Any trouble that you feel, I feel. But know that in the soul, and this is Adam instructing Eve, are many lesser faculties that serve reason as chief. Among these, fancy next her office holds. Of all external things which the five watchful senses represent, she forms imaginations, which reason, joining or disjoining, frames all what we affirm or what we deny, and call our knowledge or opinion. Mm -hmm. And so reason has the chief place. This is what we've called the image of God, the imago dei. It is reason itself. And then, he says, retires into her private cell when nature rests. But then that allows what he calls fancy here, or Mm -hmm. imagination, an amount of free play. Yeah. And in our dreams, that often runs us awry, he says. Yeah. And that may be the source of some sort of evil thoughts that arise in us. But he says, so long as we don't act on those Mm -hmm. things, there's no problem with that. And then I think the last response of Adam is worth looking at a little more closely. So cheered he his fair spouse, and she was cheered. But silently, a gentle tear let fall from either eye, and wiped them with her hair. Two other precious drops that ready stood, each in their crystal sluice. He, ere they fell, kissed, as the gracious signs of sweet remorse and pious awe that feared to have offended. And I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. The the tenderness there that we see between Adam and Eve and the difference between the two characters mm-hmm. is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so from there, they go back to work. Yeah, exactly. But Adam is a little worried, right? Adam is concerned, yeah. and we see that moving forward. Right. And then Adam and Eve, before uh-huh. they head back to work, actually begin a moment of spontaneous praise to God. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that this happens frequently throughout Paradise Lost that they break into these spontaneous praises of God. And I think that they are stunningly beautiful when they do it. And one of the things that they continually echo is seen here. To us invisible or dimly seen in these thy lowest works, that is creation around them, yet these declare thy goodness beyond thought. And this we talked about as that fundamental faith, that, that conviction that the world that God made is a good world Mm -hmm. and that the God that we serve is a good God. And that's the fundamental starting place uh, that that they hold on to. And then in their prayer, they end with this, Hail, universal Lord, be bounteous still. And in some way, this is kind of echoing the Lord's prayer, to give us only good. And if the night have gathered aught of evil or concealed, 
disperse it, as now light dispels the dark. And there we have that third book of Paradise Lost that we talked about before, where God is light. That's the primary metaphor. And that light dispels the darkness. So prayed they innocent, and to their thoughts firm peace recovered soon. And then they returned to their work. And I think there's one brief vignette to talk about there, because it says they needed hands to check fruitless embraces. And that's the idea that they're ministering to the world around them that God gave to them, and their task is to increase the fruit. Right. Right. God said, be fruitful and multiply. And that also applies to the natural world. And he said, they led the vine to wed her elm. She spoused, about him twines her marriageable arms, and with him brings her dower, the adopted clusters to adorn his barren leaves. And there's that marriage metaphor that we see over and over again. Milton glories in it. Mm -hmm. And I, too, because he glories in it, find this poem so absolutely (laughs) stunningly beautiful. The marriage metaphor. And it is the fruit that comes of the marital relationship. And that fruit is manyfold, not just children, although that's one of the things in which it's bounteous and fruitful. But it is also the love between man and woman that really exemplifies the love of God in the Trinity and all of the, the rest of the world as well. It's meant to be a fruitful experience. And most likely the reason why it's attacked. Right. So badly. Exactly. So strongly. So the family and the marital relationship. I think mostly the marital relationship. Right. Because once that's broken down, then everything, everything falls else goes. Apart. Yep. Yeah. And he actually makes one more reference even after this, because he talks about when it goes to heaven that God is speaking to the angel Raphael. Right. And he makes an allusion to the book of Tobit, which yeah. we just read this because week. Because of this. Because of this. Raphael, the sociable spirit that deigned to travel with Tobias and secured his marriage with the seven times wedded maid. And again, so we we see Milton constantly pointing to the importance of the marital relationship. Okay, so as you said, the next scene is heaven, and God summons Raphael. He informs Raphael that Satan had entered paradise and was wanting to pervert the garden. And he tells Raphael that he wants him to inform Adam and Eve about Satan and remind them about disobedience. And Raphael goes to Eden. Right. So God says, I want to send you, Raphael, to Mm -hmm. warn them so that they can't blame me (laughs) that they fell to the wiles of Satan. Or warn or remind them. He says specifically to warn. That's right, because they don't know that Satan is there. They just know they're supposed to obey, and that was it. Yeah. And specifically what he says to Raphael to say is, happiness is in his power, left free to will, left to his own free will, his will, though free, yet mutable. Whence warn him to beware, he swerve not. Yeah. There's that notion, to swerve, to step out of the way. And Jesus, of course, is the way, the truth, and the life. But that way is the prescribed natural route that God has given to man in which his will resides. And when we swerve from it, we fall into sin. Right, right. Okay, so in the story, Adam asks Eve to prepare a meal for Raphael. Kind of reminds me of 
Abraham and Sarah. Exactly. I think angels, it's definitely meant to. Yeah. When bring the angels come and, and, and she prepares a meal. Yep. So they sit down together and Adam asks Raphael questions about angels in heaven, mm-hmm. about the things that he doesn't know about. And Rafa answers his questions. He warns about obeying God, tells Adam about Satan and the fall of his army. Yes. Okay, so Rafa's story of what happened leading up to and during the fall goes on for the the rest of this book, right? Yep. The rest of book five. Pretty much the rest of book five is the battle in heaven. Yeah, it's the battle in heaven. Okay, so let's cover the battle in heaven. Okay, let's just introduce. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, thus, when with meats and drinks they had sufficed, sudden mind arose in Adam not to let the occasion pass given him by this great conference to know of things Mm -hmm. above his world. And Raphael is actually quite encouraging about this. Of course, Mm -hmm. he was told by God to inform Adam of these things. But it's also interesting to note that Milton finds it important to make the point that human curiosity and desire to know is not a bad thing, but that it has limitations. Mm -hmm. And so he encourages the curiosity, and the angel is more than willing to provide information about these things. And this is like, like we said, historically, Milton was living in a time of, like you said, scientific breakthroughs. Right. The burgeoning scientific uh-huh. outlook. Yep, for sure. And so there must have been a lot of discussion and questioning about this with the church, the state, you know, everybody wondering what, how far should we go or what should we do? Right. You know? And, and one of the things that Raphael does very clearly is to point to the hierarchical structure of God's world mm-hmm. and say, there are orders of things. Right. And each thing in its proper place makes the structure work properly and function properly. And you human beings have your place as we angels do. And we're not exactly alike, but there are parallels between us. Right. And one of the things he says that I think is interesting here, Raphael makes the point that human reason and the reason of angels is similar, but slightly different as well. He says, whence the soul reason receives, and reason is her being. And that's important because that's the imago dei, the reason of God within our souls. Discursive or intuitive, discourse is oftest yours. The latter most is ours. And the idea here is that the human reason is a thinking process, whereas the angels are actually in the presence of the things. They see and recognize the reality itself, whereas we are removed from that reality. And the best that we can do is think about and approach it it. Mm -hmm. and try to figure it out. So, in a way, the point here is the New Testament point that we walk by faith, not by sight. And the principalities, the powers, the angels actually walk more by By sight. sight. Right. And then before Raphael begins his story of what happened in heaven, Adam is a bit puzzled by something that Raphael said. And he says, in contemplation of created things, by steps... We may ascend to God. But say, what meant that caution joined? If ye be found obedient, can we want obedience then to him or possibly his love desert? 
Mm-hmm. Right. So it's the notion even of not obeying God or not following the path of God is something that is almost outside of Adam's understanding. Mm-hmm. And Raphael makes the point, look, that you are happy, and I'll actually actually read it. Okay. That thou art happy, O to God, that thou continuest such, O to thyself, that is, to thy obedience, therein stand. This was that caution given thee. Be advised, God made thee perfect, not immutable, and good he made thee. But to persevere, he left it in thy power, ordained thy will by nature free, not overruled by fate inextricable or strict necessity. Our voluntary service he requires not our necessitated. And this is that free will Mm -hmm. that God grants us, that paradoxical free will, because it's not something easy to understand how we can really be free individual beings. And yet it is fundamental to the nature of the case if we are to believe what God tells us, both in his book and in the natural revelation of the world, that we are free beings and therefore responsible beings to follow the law that he gives us, the structures that he puts in place, and that if we fall, we've got no one to blame but ourselves. And this is in direct contrast to what we see Satan and his angels constantly doing throughout Paradise Lost, constantly denying that anything is their fault, that it's a necessity. In book two. Yeah. And and elsewhere, moving Mm -hmm. forward. Oh, yeah. It's everywhere. Yep. But especially in book two and Think book three, two, when they have their meetings. Yes. Okay. Okay. So then the curiosity that Adam brings to the angel. Right. Is about um, what happened before he was created. Right. Is willingly met yeah. with knowledge from the angel. Yeah. And But the angel does say this, yet for thy good, this is dispensed. That is, God has a reason for telling you these right. things. Okay, so I'm going to start telling the story of the battle of heaven, and you stop me when you want to read things from the actual text. Okay. How's that sound? That's fantastic. So I have one point to make before we go go right there. Raphael says this to Adam, by likening spiritual to corporal forms. So what I'm going to tell you now, Adam, Uh is a story that you're going to be able to understand because I'm giving it to you in a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to quite be able to understand it, but I'm going to do the best I can. Which is what Milton was trying to do himself. Right. And this is also <laughs> a point we've made in the Christian yeah. Atheist. Was it last week or the week before mm-hmm. about the nature of metaphor? Yeah. And, and I didn't know this was going to happen because mm-hmm. I've read this, but I didn't know that Milton actually explicitly says this. Right. What comes next is really fascinating because he essentially makes the point that I made in that Christian in that Atheist. that Christian Atheist, yeah. So he says... By likening spiritual to corporal forms as may express them best, though what if earth be but a shadow of heaven? Yeah, and right? that this is, is the shadowlands of Lewis. Lewis. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And and that's exactly that's what must have we said from that the heavenly realms and God is the reality of which we are but the metaphor. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's tell the story of the battle of heaven. So God announces that he has begotten a son and they are united as one soul. Sort of like Adam and Eve, huh? Yes. 
And then all the angels are happy except for one angel, and that is Satan. He was jealous. Right. What, uh, what was he jealous? Uh, yeah, that's a great Go question. Ahead. So we can actually pick up. Yeah. So spake the omnipotent, and with his words all seemed well pleased. All seemed, mm -hmm. but were not all. Yeah. So the idea here is that Satan is disgusted with the idea that now not only does he have to be subservient to God, but now he must be subservient to God's son. And he, he kind of feels like he deserves to be equal with God. Exactly. And that notion of... And that's of, what Jesus is. Yes. The son is equal with God. Right. And Truly he wanted equal. to be in that spot. Right. And so what everyone who wants to rebel against authority claims mm -hmm. is that notion of equality. Right, right, right. And so we see Satan here claiming equality with God, which is, of course, in its own way, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Right? And there is a sense in which created beings that are rational are equal with God in the sense that they are given free will. Mm -hmm. But that free will is not the same as being equal in the sense of reality. Right. Because no one can be God but God. Exactly. Okay. So Satan talks to Beelzebub, who seems to be his right-hand man since the beginning of the poem, and he tells Beelzebub to gather all the angels together. Right. And it's what, one-third of the angels? One-third of the yep. angels of heaven. They think they're going to get together to accept the new king, which is the son. Right. And and Satan, that's what the angels think. Right, because Satan actually mm -hmm. promotes that as the right, idea. Right, that that's the idea. So he's the great father of lies from yes. the start. He yeah. lies to the angels that follow him. He deceives them and through deceit takes them along with himself down to hell. That's right. And Satan thinks God doesn't know what's going on, but God and the Son are actually watching. Right. Yeah. And Satan sets up his own throne rather than accepting the Son. And he gives us a great speech to get the angels on his side. Yes. But there's one angel who doesn't want to listen. Yes. Who rebels against Satan. Who becomes my hero. Yeah. And that's Abdiel. What yes. does Abdiel mean, John? You looked that up today. Abdiel means servant of God. Okay. And it's cognate with Abdullah and, and Obadiah. Obadiah. That's right. right. Okay. So it's the perfect name for Abdiel. He doesn't buy what Satan's saying, and he argues with Satan. Right. He confronts him. So one of the things I found interesting in the story yeah. is the sort of resonance with J.R. Tolkien's Silmarillion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the realm to which Satan retreats, where he has his palace, mm -hmm. is the north. North, and that's where, and that's where Morgoth. Morgoth does. Right. right. So it's like this direct parallel. Mm -hmm. And then one last point. So spake the false archangel and infused bad influence into the unwary breast of his associates. Yeah. So he's deceiving even those who are following him, just like he's about to deceive Eve in the garden. That's right. And it says, and with lies drew after him the third part of heaven's host. Yeah. In fact, he tells them he doesn't remember being created by God. So therefore he was self-created. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, exactly right. And that's that's in the argument that he has with, with Abdiel, Abdiel, right? Yeah, so Abdiel right. says, how dare you revolt against the creator who brought you into existence through the sun? Yeah. And then, as you said, Satan yeah. denies being created. 
Right. He says, no, we created ourselves. And he said that a, several times yes. in, in the previous books, too. Right. And even though he said exactly the opposite. the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so that contradiction. Mm-hmm. We is, see that all the time right now. Is one of the points mm, I constantly make about the nature of our society as yep. it exists today. It mm. is that Hegelian logic that allows us to claim two contradictory positions yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And that is fundamental to wokeism, to Marxism, that has pervaded our cultural right. awareness these and days. And drives us crazy. And drives me absolutely <laughs> insane. Okay, so Abdiel is made fun of and flies away to God. He's made fun of by the angels and... He flies away to God. Yes. And now we get to book six, where the war in heaven is described. And Abdiel goes to God and pretty much tells on Satan. Of course, we know that God already knows what's happening. And Abdiel is rewarded for his faithfulness. Yes. The armies of heaven are gathering, and Michael is appointed the leader of the army of heaven. Gabriel is his next in command. And they're told to send the rebellious angels to hell. Satan arrives in a golden chariot. And at this point, Abdiel shows up again. Right. So he argues with Satan again. Yeah, we can actually pick it up there. And that's okay. kind of an interesting part. Yeah, because part. the two parts, I mean, I mean, this is the battle. And if you're into the battle, it's a cool section. Right. This um, is something we've actually learned by reading A Preface to Paradise Lost yeah. by C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Milton, in doing an epic poem, mm-hmm. has to follow the sort of prescription of yeah, epic poetry. Right, right. And so we've come to learn that some of these long passages in which Milton does these rather seemingly boring yeah. lists and battle scenes is just the nature of epic poetry. Epic poetry, right. And it's meant to paint a picture that carries us along right. on the larger stream of the poem. Right. And we, as contemporary people, tend to try to look at the little vignettes yeah. in the poem and pick them out, yeah. rather than feeling the nature of the epic, right. of the whole story dragging right. it's us a different, through. It's a different time. Right. Nowadays. And it is a fascinating epic if we read it that way. If you, yeah, if you right. have to, yeah, you have to remove the idea of watching a movie in your head, mm-hmm. out of your head, to read it as an epic. Right. So there is two parts. It starts in book five. It's Abdiel, his conversation with Satan, and then it goes back to that in book six. Right. Yeah, I thought both of those were very right. interesting. And, and for me, Abdiel, <laughs> as I read it this last time with you, mm-hmm. almost makes me cry because if there's anybody <laughs> I want to be now in in literature, it's Abdiel. Because he stands against the entire horde of the demons all by himself and takes all of their scorn for God. Right. And I guess this is because it's the flip side Mm -hmm. of what I did. Right. Um, I turned my back on God and walked away from him. And I think a large motivation of that was because I didn't want the scorn of the crowd. Right. And now that I've come back, it's like, Bring it on. Yeah. I'll stand for God. And I don't care what you think or how foolish you find me. I'm on God's side now. I think when you're and, younger. And nothing will turn me yeah, from that. When you're younger, you care more about that. And so in that yeah. last vignette in book five, mm-hmm. 
Abdiel opposes himself mm -hmm. to the entire horde, rebukes Satan, and walks and back, to God, back to God, right, to, like, tell, <laughs> yeah. to tell on him about what's going on. And now on. he's in the armies of God, and, now he's, in the and he's the one who's going to step out and face right. Satan And it's first. almost like God has granted him this for his faithfulness. Right. This first blow against Satan that right. knocks him back ten paces. Right. But before he does knock him back... They kind of monologue each other. A little bit, yeah. Just a little bit, yeah. Okay, so I guess we can just, for a few seconds, okay. um, present what Abdiel says to Satan at this moment. Wherefore, should not strength and might there fail where virtue fails? Or weakest prove where boldest, though to fight unconquerable? His puissance... Abdiel says, trusting in the Almighty's aid, I mean to try. So he says, look, in this battle of words with Satan, my rationality won the case, mm -hmm. and yet no one sided with me. That's right. And I went off by myself. I stood by myself right. in the midst of all of the hordes of Satan who cowardly refused to stand by me, although I was in the right and I had the truth. Wait. But now, now. I'm going to stand against him physically, physically right. with power. I mean to try whose reason I have tried, unsound and false. Nor is it aught but just that he who in debate of truth hath won, that is, Abdiel won, should win in arms. Mm -hmm. In both disputes alike, Victor, though brutish that contest, and foul when reason hath to deal with force. Yeah. And then this last phrase is really good. Yet so, most reason is that reason overcome. Mm -hmm. And this is something we sh Christians should keep in mind in our contemporary world in the battle against the woke and Marxist ideologies yeah. that have pervaded our culture. Yeah. We have tried reason, mm -hmm. and reason is on our side, and evidence is on our side, science is on our side, right. but force has been beating us down, right. and we've got to stop playing nice. Right. It's time to push back. Right. And I think Governor Ron DeSantis is doing a pretty good job mm -hmm. of this in Florida. Mm -hmm. And we need to start doing it at a much greater level all around us. We right. have to start standing for truth. Yeah, exactly. That is very true. And in whatever capacity that we you can. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean you have to go become president of the United States. But, <laughs> you know, in your little world, wherever you live. Wherever you live, yeah, for whatever real. you do, it's in time to stand wherever. for God's truth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the battle starts because Abdiel strikes Satan. Like you said, he's sent back 10 paces. Mm -hmm. And the battle starts, and eventually Satan and Michael start monologuing each other. There's a lot of monologuing in this poem. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, we see that in the Homeric <laughs> battles, yes. too, in the Iliad. Yeah, yeah. So... Michael's sword was made by God and cuts Satan off Satan, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> cuts off Satan's right side. And that's when um Satan experiences pain. Is that the first time that's he the, it says that, yeah, we'll we'll go there. Let me actually okay. read that in the discussion between Satan and Michael. 
to whom thus the adversary, that is, Satan speaking to Michael, nor think thou with wind of airy threats to all whom yet with deeds thou canst not. So he's expressing bravado here. I am going to stand up against you. You can't threaten me. Yeah. That thou shouldst hope imperious and with threats to chase me hence, err not that so shall end the strife which thou callest evil. Yeah. But we style the strife of glory. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't help but see the rewriting of language here mm-hmm. that we see constantly right around us in the woke culture Mm -hmm. in which they rewrite the nature of words Mm -hmm. so that they can win the battle. And that's precisely what Satan is doing right here. That's very true. Which we mean to win or turn this heaven itself into the hell thou fablest. Right. Here, however, to dwell free, if not to reign. So here we see the pride and the arrogance of Satan and those who would oppose their own will to that of the Almighty. Yeah. Okay, so Satan experiences pain, and then he's healed. He can't be killed permanently. It says, Then Satan first knew pain, and writhed him to and fro convolved. But so what? Yeah. It's like, because you're not going to die. Right. So the rebel angels also start to feel pain for the first time. Right. And it shakes their confidence Mm -hmm. a little. And so during the night, they decide to create weapons to cause God's angels to feel pain. Right. And what were the weapons? Okay. So actually to introduce this, there's an angel or a fallen angel by the name of Nisroch. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting what he says, because the fallen angels have for the first time felt pain. And he said, though matchless, quelled with pain, which all subdues. And makes remiss the hands of the mightiest. He says, look, this pain thing, I don't like this so much. Maybe we could reverse the scales and give them pain. Maybe that would work for us. He says, sense of pleasure, we may well spare out of life, perhaps, and not repine, but live content, which is the calmest life. But pain is the perfect misery, the worst of evils, and excessive overturns all patience. He who therefore can invent with what more forcible way we may offend our yet unwounded enemies, to me, deserves no less for deliverance than what we owe. Yeah. And of course, Satan stands up and says, yeah, I've got the invention to do that. (laughs) And what was that? Essentially, it is the invention of gunpowder and cannons. Right. Right. So the evil angels then work together during the, the night. Yeah. To produce this this weapon, infernal new yeah, weapon that cause injury but not death, right? For the right. other angels. Okay, so Satan and Belial give speeches making fun of the angels. Yep. Well, it's, eventually they get to the point where the angels are throwing mountains and mm-hmm. valleys it's just at like each going, other. Okay, I should say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gotten so big and out of hand <laughs> that's tearing heaven up. And God says enough. Yeah, one thing leads to another. Right. <laughs> And then finally, God sends his son to stop the battling. And God's armies stand back to make way for the son. He comes through on a chariot and he drives them to the edge of heaven. And they throw themselves into the pit. Right. Right. So God says, pursue these sons of darkness and drive them out from all heaven's bounds 
into the utter deep. Right. And on his son with rays direct shone full. So there's that light of of God as light, that metaphor that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. So Christ, in fact, does this, and, then, and he drives them, as you said yeah, just a moment ago. He drives them to the edge of heaven, and they throw themselves over. And right. that's an important point. Right. Because God is not punishing them so much as they are in fear, punishing themselves. They take it upon themselves to oppose their will to God, and when they face the consequences, they can't handle them, and therefore they throw themselves over the edge of heaven. Yeah, so is heaven flat? I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> like, like, like the world of Narnia. That's right. Okay. So they fall for nine days and they land in hell. Yep. And that takes us back to book one. Right. When we're, where everything begins. Right. So we talked about begins. like that in, in our introduction to this, mm-hmm. that in an epic and poem, you always sort of enter and Nadius race in the middle of things. And this is book six. Right. And this, and this is, is the book, middle of the book. Right. And book six is now giving us the context for the beginning mm-hmm. of the book. Right. And then the sun sits down at God's right hand. Right. And Raphael hopes that this will help Adam to understand the seriousness of the enemy that has entered the garden. Yes. Do you have anything else to say about book five or six, John? It's interesting that as we close this out, the Son of God says that these, that is the fallen angels, may have their wish to try with me in battle which the stronger proves, they all or I alone against them. Since by strength they measure all, of other excellence not emulous, nor care who them excels. Yeah. And this is what we've been pushing all along this notion, and I think Milton does a really great job of expressing how God is a balance of characteristics, and that if you want to get things right, true, mm-hmm. and correct ethically, yeah. it's not a matter of doing one thing or another. It's doing everything properly in its proper order, its proper structure. proper place. And unless you do that, unless you achieve the balance, Mm -hmm. if you start pulling things out of the structure or revaluing things, that is the very nature of evil. Right. Evil disturbs the structure. That's right. And one of the points he makes here is that evil also emphasizes the notion of strength over everything else. Mm-hmm. And we see this in the Marxist, wokist things that we're doing constantly today, yeah. that everything is about power. And it's not about mm-hmm. power. It's about right. That's right. About goodness. And goodness requires a structure. Right. And God is that structure. And he boundaries. is goodness himself. And boundaries. Right. And those boundaries that are put in place and are each, put in place for our good. And, and each being who they are. Right. Adam being Adam and Eve being Eve. Being Eve. Eve. Right. Yes. And the angels being subject mm-hmm. to their proper king. Right. The king right. of kings, the Lord of lords. He who is the creator. And we each And we too Eve. being right. subject. Right. Which takes us back to the beginning of book five. Right. Where we started here today. Yep. So the final warning mm-hmm. that Raphael gives, he says, at thy request, Adam, and that thou mayest beware by what is past, to thee I have revealed what might have else 
to human race been hid. And then he warns them, Satan, he who envies now thy state, is on his way to Eden, that he may seduce thee also from obedience, that with him bereaved of happiness thou mayest partake his punishment, eternal misery. So there is that evil pathogenic that we've talked about extensively. Exactly. And Raphael's saying, look, don't take the pathogen. Right. It's in your choice to decide not to. Right. And that's the point of all of this that I've talked with you here today, Adam. Mm-hmm. All of this information that I've given you is as a warning. And the last words he utters, remember and fear to transgress. Yeah. And there's that proper fear of God. Right. Like, I remember as a kid being terrified of mm-hmm. my father. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Because being terrified of my father, it's not that my father beat me or ever hurt me. Mm-hmm. I knew he was on my side. I don't know if terrified is the, is the right oh, word. I was, I was pretty terrified of my dad. I, would think, <laughs> I was think? scared. Uh, yeah. He represented to me the one thing that I really never wanted to cross. Right. Right, of course. And it wasn't that I was terrified he was going to hurt me. Right. Never had that sense. That's why I said I don't know if terrify is the is the right word. I, I lived in fear. <laughs> right. Shall we put respect. it that way? Uh, a respect and a I guess I wonder what the difference honor. between respect and fear yeah, is. Yeah. Because I had the same thing with mine, but it wasn't I mean my, I don't want to say fear or terrified, but I want to say a respect by something really stronger than that. Yeah. Well, it was different (laughs) between my mom and my dad, Mm -hmm. for sure. Right. Because my mom, it was like, okay, yeah, I don't want to cross her because there may be some bad consequences. Well, because if you cross mom, dad's going to yeah, ultimately. That's going to be very right, upset. Right. That's, that's the sort of the lying mom. behind yeah. the mom thing. Yeah. But mom was less fearful than she was like someone I could touch and, yeah. and be close to and, and recognize that, that <laughs> I could play on mom's sympathies. Right. I, I never had that sense with my dad. Right. It was like I just knew there were lines and that. I better not cross them. And I was, I mean, I used the yeah. word terror, and I'm not afraid to use that word. I know. But I was but afraid. But I don't think it's the correct word. Seriously. It may not be. I mean, respect yeah. is the right word, and the Bible uses we the have word to, fear. We have to figure out the words for that, for yeah. sure. The Bible does use the word mm-hmm. fear. It's like fear a, God is the, is the beginning of wisdom. What is the original? I don't know. I'd yeah, we see what the original word is. All right, we can look that up. That would be a good idea. That would be a good because whatever that is, that's what our your your dad and my dad yeah. did for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so like they my gave dad us... almost never even need to say right anything. I just, <laughs> just didn't look cross it. Yeah. So they both both our fathers gave us a good representation. Well, I guess both our mother and father together mm-hmm. yeah. as a united force gave us a good representation of God. Right now, on my side, they were both atheists. Your mom was a Christian. Christian Your dad sure. was an, a, well, an agnostic. He, yeah, possibly, he was agnostic. Yeah. yeah. So they weren't like perfect God-fearing mm-hmm. parents, but they did what was right. Mm-hmm. They gave a good they representation did. of the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible to do it even if you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you haven't started reading it for yourself, you might want to squeeze it in through our audio version. Listen to Paradise Lost. 
John read the entire poem and posted it on YouTube in a playlist. So, John, you have the link in the description. Right. And if you're listening on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. I think that's probably the best way to listen to it is on YouTube. Right. You get a more continuous Yeah, because um, on And be sure to listen on Monday to The Christian Atheist, where John's going to begin book, what, seven and possibly eight. I think we're going to combine. Not sure how we're going to do that, but it might be book seven and eight. Yeah, because this is going to be where Adam talks about how he began, how he was created. Okay, then on Thursday, we will discuss book seven and eight. So thank you for joining us and hope you're having a great week. Don't forget to pick up our first book. Yeah, yeah, um, check it out on Amazon. You put the link in the description, but all you correct. have to do is put in Through the Looking Glass, John Wise. It's a longer title. It's Through the Looking Glass, The Imploding of an Atheist Professor's Worldview. Yes. But if you just put Through the Looking Glass with John Wise, it'll come up. It comes up, I think, as the top result. So be sure to check out his book. We'd love to hear from you. John answers almost everything that he gets. Mm -hmm. And as always, if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, you can do that in the link in the description. And then we'll see you all next week. Sorry about my voice. (laughs) Pennsylvania is getting to the um, allergen season. The allergy season is rising. So I'm trying to... Affecting both of us. I'm trying to take my medication, but I keep forgetting (laughs) every once in a while and my voice starts going. So we deeply value your listening. Mm-hmm. And we we do for it immensely. real. And I love you, my dear. I love you, John. And we'll see you all next week. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian. <laughs>